It's a podcast. You're listening to Gorehead and the Wiener. World's greatest sag pervert. <laughs> that's uh, that's Clive Barker for you. Yeah. yeah, and that's what, as you could, if you're, we're talking about Clive Barker being a pervert, that means on today's episode, we're talking about Hellraiser. Hellraiser, welcome everybody to the next Gorehead and the Wiener episode. This was, this was the movie I was so afraid to get to. <laughs> I was so excited for this. For you oh, you this. were stoked. Oh, Just to God. see what, we... what your brain would do after watching that. <laughs> I ended up, I was like... Uh, scrolling through the commentary that we recorded and the amount of faces I made. <laughs> there's there's that, many. It's a movie there's that a, goes places. <laughs> it challenges so, you. Because I, when I was playing the movie, I made the window as small as I could. <laughs> and I just sat in my chair. And I think it, like for half the movie, I'm just sitting like this. <laughs> Like, I'm trying not to cover my face. I'm like, I need to watch it. I need to... Ah. I'm probably just giggling like a schoolgirl. Like, yeah, you're so delighted. Like... <laughs> she looks terrified. Uh, but yeah, to get into the meat of it. Uh, oh, today, there's a uh, lot of meat to get into in this lot one. There's a lot of meat. We're talking about Hellraiser. And all of you probably know the premise of this show by now, but... Yeah, basically, we're just we're watching horror movies to try to get me better equipped to handle gore so that I can handle horror movies like a normal horror movie fan. Yeah. So here we go. We're going <laughs> to we're just going to talk about Hellraiser. And overall, these episodes are always full of spoilers. So um, I think today after the. I think even the gore, the gore is going, <laughs> when I give an overview of the gore, it's going to have spoilers because mm-hmm. the whole movie is basically just each plot point can be marked by a major point of gore. So yes, this is a very keep that in mind. visually stimulating movie and not in a normal visually stimulating sort of oh, way. So even when we give away the plot, Really watching it is is necessary to fully experience the movie. The, and I will say it's a it's a very unique horror movie compared to a lot of horror movies these days. It's not like it's not really like a a type of horror movie that gets made very often because it's like deals with a mix of horror slash sexuality, which is something that doesn't oh, yeah. happen a lot in horror, but when put together properly is very very effective at making you extremely uncomfortable (laughs) so uncomfortable yeah this movie deals with basically a lot of sadomasochism so keep that in mind it won't shock you to hear that clive barker was a frequenter of snm clubs (laughs) yeah that doesn't doesn't shock me doesn't shock me at all no so anyways yeah well, well we'll jump into it and i'll let Chris, give it away with his uh, delightful movie intro. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a, this is a real simple one. It's uh, essentially it's, it's the portrait of a talented sex pervert, and the overall feeling that the movie leaves you with is that you've been dragged to a Jeffrey Epstein party. 
You'll never be oh, the same God. again. A little topical humor there for you for rich molesters. Oh my God. Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> was the guy that sex trafficked at, uh, young females around the world and let rich people have at them. So that's about, I imagine, how I would feel being at one of those parties is how Hellraiser makes you feel. Yeah. That, it's like being cornered by a pervert. <laughs> you can't get away. It makes you so uncomfortable. And I will say um, this, this movie was based on a novella that Clive Barker actually had written himself before he even... He's a super talented the, dude. He's also so a super talented. pervert. Super pervert, but also apparently he was a delight to work with. Like just he's, a very kind of soft spoken. He's nice British person. man. He has a nice British, calm, soothing British yeah. voice. And he's just like, hello, my name is Clive Barker, and I'm going to make an ultra sexual horror film. <laughs> just like, oh god. Like it's like if you were he seems just really nice. friends with him on the surface and you didn't have to if you weren't in a, like a sexual relationship with him, sure. you would probably be a good friend. You know, you'd have like, to be open to a lot. Friend. Yeah, it's like I only hang out with Clive during the day. What he yeah. does at night, that's not. I'm not. Uh, we're not close enough friends for me to be able to. Hang not gonna. <laughs> not gonna go there. So um, but yeah, he he must yeah. be like a really like well adjusted guy because all of his stuff is in the open. He's. He's totally cool letting the world know he likes some weird things. So he must be very well adjusted. It's just. Yeah. Oh, totally. And there's a lot go, of. Just don't go into there. the rooms in his house that he tells you not to go in and you'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know he has a sex dungeon in his house. Like 50, oh, 100%. Like 50 Shades of Grey should have just starred Clive Barker. It's like a documentary of his life. And you learned, like, as I was watching the, some of the documentary pieces that I could for Hellraiser, there's a lot of people out there like him that have a lot of very fucked, like, I mean, fucked to me, but, like, just a very yeah. exotic sexual yes. uh, yeah. desire. For, they, they are for, there, like, yeah, they, they are willing to, to, see, to enjoy the kaleidoscope that is offered. <laughs> and, uh, you know, us prudes are uh, just too weird yeah. to buy it. But it makes I, for an amazing a, horror movie premise. I am basically like a piece of cardboard compared to like Clive Barker when oh, it comes boy. to like sexual tendencies. Uh, yeah, like, oh I, like, Clive Barker is the allspice. He is the allspice. <laughs> we're just salt and pepper. I am a soggy piece of cardboard. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he is the so, hot chili pepper. <laughs> the, the hot chili pepper. Chili pepper. Oh so yeah, I'll get into amazing the... I would love to read his, his biography. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's a... So fascinating guy, and this is definitely a perfect horror movie for me because it's everything I don't really want to watch. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> this, is, this was uh, this was the end of our first horror story arc. This was the movie yeah. that uh, I was building you up to was was getting you to watch this. So this is uh, this is a, a milestone for your horror watching <laughs> experience. Uh. I didn't want to watch it and I didn't want to research it. Like this was everyone listening at home needs to know how hard this was for me. It's I so can wonderful. do it. It's just, you it makes it. me uncomfortable, but it's not like, it's hard to watch because it's uncomfortable, but the gore aspect of it is, is 
watchable because it was done yeah. in the 80s. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. can it's low it, budget. A lot too. of it is it's low budget. It's a lot of it is very practical effect. I mean it it's all practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um there was no CG, thankfully. Maybe some like because the 80s screen, CG maybe. would not really work. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um but we'll get into the full gore wiener rating now. So now we're into 100% spoiler territory. Um, and I gave it three out of five gory wieners. And just as a reminder, that basically means if there are five gory wieners in a room, only three of them could watch it in, in all of its entirety. <laughs> Not bad for Hellraiser. One, honestly, it's the same rating that I gave for The Fly. Because I was thinking... Mm-hmm. Um, I could give it a two and a half, but I was able to watch it. So I would say the fly is like, um, that's an easy three out of five and Hellraiser yeah. is a difficult <laughs> three out of five. So it was like, yeah. this is at the lower end of a three and yeah. the fly was at a higher end of a three. That so it's sense. Like, Cause like the gore itself in Hellraiser isn't yeah. anything that's too insane, but just the package together makes you feel uncomfortable in a way that not a lot of movies make you feel uncomfortable, which is why I love the movie so much because it allows you to feel horribly uncomfortable in a safe space. Cause I don't want to see that. It's that's true. Cause I think with the fly, I actually felt nauseous for days after watching the fly. Like it was a more of a disgust that's what and, happens when you watch David Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more of like a just a nauseating disgust the whole time. And with Hellraiser, it is just like uncomfortable. Like you feel dirty watching yeah. it. That's kind just of like the how, feeling. Because the real horrors is about how yeah. how gross people can be and just how like exactly. selfish and like, disgusting they are. Because it's more, it's not quite as visually disgusting. It is more of like a visceral disgusting, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, so yeah, we'll get into the meat of it now for the uh, the gore. So I gave two points off. One of the point off was for the, um, not. it's not quite the first scene, but there is a, a scene where a nail goes through uh, the main dude's hand. Oh yes, Larry. His name yeah. is Larry. Yeah, close up. Um, not. I think he is. I guess he's kind of the main character. Um, there's he's two main characters. Them. Like Frank and Larry are the main. Go Gozer, characters. Gozer and Larry. Gozer and oh, Gozer. That's Julia. <laughs> oh, Julia. Oh, there we go. Anyway, so the, there's a nail that doesn't fully go through his hand, but it gives him a really good gash. And I actually just full on couldn't watch that scene because it's me, Especially me when and they close show up gore with hands. Yeah, yeah. Me, and, me and hands. It's, it's, I have a hard time. And the second point off was um, there's some close up of nails or hooks, I guess, hooks going oh, through yes. skin. Yeah. And so like yeah. I could watch some of it, but it. Oh, it just kept happening. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Pinhead's all about them hooks and chains. Yeah, oh, there's a lot, of, a lot of hooks going into people. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it happens a lot in the movie. So you're bound to catch a, a glimpse of one or two. Especially and I did. Because I saw it at the beginning and I it looked like a hook going through a ball sack. I think that's what I said. <laughs> I was like, what was that? His ball you know sack? What? That is probably was Clive Barker's intention. 
Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> because it was like super close up and the skin was like very thin. And it's all <laughs> so about weird SM pain for pleasure. So you know what? That could totally be a dude's ball sack getting hooked and torn to pieces. <laughs> Yay. Clive Barker said so those... in the original version of Pinhead, he had genital piercings. So, you know. I was actually not far expecting off. there to be something like that in there. Because I have accidentally seen a video clip of that happening to a person. Oh! On, like a, ta- on a tattoo shop show, they also did They piercings. got their ball hooked? <laughs> no, no, no. They had a, oh. what was called a, um, a Prince Albert. Oh, Where, like, a no. piercing goes through a penis, yeah. Oh, Yay! No. Ah. This episode immediately episode makes you talk about terrible things. <laughs> what Hellraiser Fun does fact. to people. You can't talk Vancouver, about Hellraiser without saying, sounding like a pervert. I know. Fun fact in Vancouver, I used to live on a street called Prince Albert, and I always thought of the piercing. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful reminder every day you come home. It's like. Oh, yes. Uh, good old Prince Albert. Dick Pierce Drive. <laughs> Dick Pierce Drive. So, yeah, we, um, that's the first part is the, the first gore is the skin pulling. <laughs> um, Impossible yeah, because I only, <laughs> I only got into the, the two points I took off, which was, yeah, the hand in the nail scene and the close-up of the skin pulling. So the very first scene that you see in the movie of the gore is this close-up of skin pulling with hooks. Mm-hmm. And then you see flesh and body remnants, general unrecognizable body gore. It's just Spinning kind of chunks. Barbed wire and chunks of flesh. and You see like so, an ear stuck to and, like and, a, and they kind of like nail. put a dude's fate back kind of together like there's pieces of his like face and they kind of like put yeah them back together it's pretty that looked well, a little cheesy well originally they actually had to reshoot it because it it looked too uh it was too freaky the original version because oh, they really? used they used real eyeballs and chunks of flesh and a tongue oh. from a butcher shop and it was actually the fat gross guy putting back together his like face with real chunks of flesh. So they ended up reshooting it with a fake prosthetic and it's pinhead doing it instead of the butterball guy. Okay. I'm glad they did that. (laughs) So that could have looked way worse. Yeah. Cause I actually didn't mind. It didn't look bothersome to me. Cause it it looks super cheesy, but when it's abstract like that, it's just like, random pieces of things it's not a big deal especially because it cuts to it it's not mm. like you don't see it all coming apart no, yet no. that's for the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then that's when we see the close-up of the hand um of the nail ripping through the hand Kicks and then <laughs> and then yeah so that's the goriest part of the beginning and then now the gore is I wrote resurrection of a skinless corpse. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Frank. And good old Frank being resurrected. Um, and you see like various, like the first scene of like some very interestingly shot stop motion, which we will talk about in a bit um, mm. of basically him being like gooped up back together into like <laughs> this weird, he's like in a, he's like this weird crawling corpse thing. Like he's barely yeah. even human at this point. And so slimy. <laughs> you see 
then you see like general just general people getting killed <laughs> yeah a lot of murder of 80s businessmen yeah murders of 80s <laughs> businessmen you don't see too much like you see the first victim um julia hits this guy in the face and his mm-hmm. jaw like comes off of it that's right yeah he that's probably up. the worst one um and then you see all the following victims you don't really see too much you see maybe like um frank's hand going into flesh that's how he like sucks out their essence yeah 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 he's real big into doing that (laughs) real big into the yeah real big into grabbing (laughs) grabbing yeah he's a toucher he's a toucher all right Toucher. frank does not obey people's personal space let me tell you he's just not a cool dude that frank nope Jeez. And then we see Frank's general nastiness. Yeah, I was going to say, Frank's just generally phases. disgusting the whole time. Yeah. That actor Frank's general nastiness. Covered in shit the whole see, time. Yeah. Oh, that poor man. Yeah. He must have been through so much, like, makeup and just, like, I sludge. hope he got paid okay. Oh, my. Probably not. The budget was only a million bucks. So. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And then we see Skinless Larry. Skinless Larry. Skinless Larry. And we see fake-skinned fake-skinned Frank. Fake-skinned Frank and Skinless Larry. Watch their stand-up comedy duo. (laughs) There's like a the next there's like a face scratch that happens where like skin peels off a face. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty goofy. Um, Yeah, Frank's just holding it together. A dead maggot mouth guy. <laughs> yeah, all the corpses that she just hides in the cupboard in like yeah. the side room. And there's like one of them that just like falls over and all of these maggots come out of his mouth. He just surprised yeah, that he like great. pops out of the cupboard. He's like, hello. <laughs> yeah. Bleh. And he has kind of a weird jaw. I wonder if it's the weird jaw guy. I think it was Yeah, him. I think it was like the guy got hit with the hammer the first time. Right, because yeah, she had to she had he to hide like, him. Just fucked him into the spare bedroom. I know. And then the last one is the worst scene where you see Frank getting torn apart again and just all crazy <laughs> flesh being pulled and more so many hooks. skin hooks. And yeah, he gets, he gets hooked real nastiness. bad. <laughs> he gets skin hooked bad. So yeah, that's, that is the gore. There's a lot of it. And <laughs> it's... You could imagine it. It's not a good first horror movie to watch, but I think it is. You can easily work up to it if you want to. I yeah. think it's probably a good, like you said, it's a good movie to to um, kind of get your tolerance up. I guess. If you watch that, you can watch plenty of other horror movies. Let me tell you, because you could look not back. Not everything. While watching- but, yeah, no, yeah. no, there's still stuff out there that's uh, pretty awful. But uh, I would say Hellraiser leaves you with a, a general uh, feeling of grossness that uh, not not many horror movies will make you feel. Like, you know, you can, yeah. you can watch a gory horror movie now and think, well, at least there wasn't a bunch of creepy sex stuff in it. <laughs> that's, that is true. Yeah, I don't want to get chased by a bunch of S&M demons ever. <laughs> That doesn't happen in movies no. very often, let me tell you. Ooh, we'll have, to, we'll have to watch the Hellraiser reboot that they're doing, Pinhead's a Woman. Oh, so wow. We'll see. We'll see how that okay. goes. Okay. Are they making Pinhead sexy now? Is that what's happening? Oh, 
I hope not. I don't want to see a sexy fin head. That sounds very upsetting. I just picture a lot upsetting. of body piercings. I don't I don't want to see whatever's going on underneath his leather jacket. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, because it's like his nipples. No, the nipples alone. Off, yeah, like just he's just walking around with nipples ripped off his chest, just hanging out. Just nasty. Like just, just and like that's what that's I think what really makes you feel uncomfortable is like as you look at the Cinnabites more, just seeing how they're made and like what they've done to themselves is just so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, with the, they're just standing there and they're so unnerving because, like, the fat one's just playing with his own guts and, like, licking his lips. It's just like looking yeah. at this young woman. You're like, oh, ew. I don't it's want so him nasty. to be looking at her anymore, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so uncomfortable. They're all pretty nasty. Yeah, so, they, they all got some oh. stuff going on. Yeah, we'll get, get into um, the Cenobites, like, all of the detail about them. I couldn't find too much, but I'm sure you know more about them than I do. I found some interesting um, facts about their origins. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> okay, that'll be good. Spoiler, they're creepy. <laughs> of course. Of course they are. <laughs> it's like, oh, spoiler, they're very wholesome the way they can yeah. be. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver was his greatest inspiration. Leave it to Beaver. Uh, okay, so we'll get into, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible, but uh, the detailed summary did break <laughs> a little bit, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not as much as The Fly, because that it's one a haunted, went on a it's, it's essentially a haunted house movie, you know, it takes place all it within is. this house, and it's kind of getting haunted, but instead of a ghost, it's haunted by a pervert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, I'll introduce the characters. There's uh, Frank Cotton, who's the, you see him at the very beginning, and he is buying a puzzle pop, a puzzle, <laughs> my, my words. He is buying a puzzle box from an otherworldly pleasure dealer. Um, <laughs> his... Pleasure dealer? I don't want to yeah. go to a store ever where a guy's called a pleasure dealer. You stay <laughs> yeah, away from me. I am never shaking your hand. <laughs> that's what dealer. he's described as, as a pleasure oh. dealer. Because, because Frank has, you learn later yeah. that he's grown tired of like, the worldly pleasures. pleasures he wanted yeah. to experience something more extreme so he seeked out this person that is supposedly selling this this box that can basically summon pleasures. summon things that can give him pleasures unknown to mankind it's like a so cautionary tale of being a nymphomaniac oh my God, yeah. <laughs> just like there's so many cautionary tales in horror movies like this. It's like, dude, just like, like try to try to be happy. Like try to like find ways yeah. to make yourself happy. You know. Maybe Don't ask yourself, why are you trying to fill your void with sexual depravity? What's missing from Frank? What does Frank <laughs> have to missing? get? You know, maybe just take a moment to see what Frank's all about. Have you talked to yourself <laughs> lately? You know. Maybe before you open that pleasure box that gives you access to a hell dimension filled with pervert demons, you just take a step back and, and think about what what makes Frank tick? What why why am I doing this? <laughs> no. Just he take a step back, you know. Yeah. Like, Self-reflection's very important, especially when you're about to take a, a step like that. <laughs> when you go to the you pleasure to dealer, that's what you know. You need to take a moment, self-reflect. <laughs> I just went to a pleasure dealer and bought a sex pervert box. I need to feel, I need to figure out why I'm doing this. 
You know what, Frank? I think instead of trying to find other people to love you, you should find ways to love yourself. <laughs> it's all about self-love, Frank. That's what I want. That'd be great if like Pinhead pops out of the cube and he just has like little glasses on. And he's like got like a pencil. He's wearing like a sweater. And he's just but he still has like all the leather gear underneath, but just has a sweater over top of it. He's like, Frank. Why did you open the box? <laughs> it's like, how about we just take a moment and talk? <laughs> I always like to do a little therapy session first to make sure you're aware of what you're getting yourself into. That's like a questionnaire no, that he gives that. people. <laughs> it's got a little clipboard. <laughs> no, that would be very thoughtful, but these these guys are not that thoughtful. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no. Back. They're back the to the rabbi uncle type. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, back to the, the detailed summary. Um, back to the detailed summary <laughs> of the pervert. Yes. Um, the, the famous line of of the otherworldly uh, pleasure dealer, quote unquote, <laughs> is, what's your pleasure, sir? <laughs> he says that at the oh, beginning. He has like a very mystic sort of a racist yeah. accent. <laughs> yes, I... Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do that accent. No, I think we should probably veer away from that. We're going to be in enough hot water just talking about this movie. Probably. People are really um, going to so think yeah. perverts. He, he gets this mysterious um, metal box that mm. Frank later takes back to his attic. And he's like surrounding himself with candles and it's very romantic yeah he's just as he's, he's setting up like his little his little pleasure time his me time he's got his candles in a square and he starts out very sweaty i don't know why oh, he's, he's so like sweaty but oil. he's like drenched he oil. yeah so he solves this puzzle thing and basically immediately <laughs> hooked chains appear out of the walls and pull and like you just see close-ups of the hook going yeah, into his ball sack. <laughs> and, ball sack. and you assume he was like pulled apart or something because later the room is just filled with swinging chains and body remnants and this robed person comes in and returns the box to the original state that it was in yeah. and the room just returns back to its normal attic. Very it's attic handy self. cleaning, pro- cleaning. <laughs> a time oh saver. God. Like that That'd thing just... Great. Yeah, just gone from guts and the hanging only body issue parts. Is that you may die every time you use it. So. Yeah, you do have to worry about <laughs> sex perverts getting you, but I will clean your room up. <laughs> it will move things to a different dimension for you. I just you. really hate washing the bathtub. I'll deal with the sex perverts. So, it's fine. Yeah. So later, um, we see whom is later revealed to be Frank's brother. Larry Cotton and his yeah. wife Julia move into Gozer. this house. Gozer the Gozer. She, she looks like Gozer. And the funny thing about Julia is that she is clearly this character is supposed to be very beautiful and like this almost like a man eater. Yeah, but yeah, she's yeah. Kind of um the way they dress her and the makeup they put on her is not doing her any favors. Oh. And to kind of show and the shoulder pads and to kind of fight against this because she is a talented actress she's famous from being in in many plays i guess and she's won a lot of 
acting awards. So she's a great actress, but to kind of counteract that she's not exactly <laughs> like oh, what young. you would expect. She's in her, she's like, like in her 30s. 40s. Four, yeah, yeah, I like say late 40s. yeah, 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 yeah. Like definitely, like I'd say, yeah, late thirties, early forties is probably. I yeah. think she, yeah, she looks, she looks Just like solid forty. A non-traditional age for the leading lady, which hey, you know, great for Clive Barker to to, to be all inclusive, but oh, it I definitely know. doesn't play to the heart throb, you know, sexy housewife style. Her character is basically most of her character is just to be like a beautiful woman and to like just seduce men easily Mm -hmm. without any um, effort and to counteract that she wasn't exactly um, (laughs) didn't look exactly like what the role described. They Mm -hmm. put like this soft blur filter on her face every time she's on the screen, (laughs) and it's so distracting. And it was like you could have twinkle because she's not like she's an attractive woman, but they just the way that they dress her and like put this makeup on her, it's just like they it made her look so much older. I feel like than she actually was. So well, and then like over anyway. the course of the movie, as as she like goes more into her depravity, she starts to like slick her hair more and wear like really intense like eighties pop star makeup. Yes. <laughs> so that just makes it even worse. Makes it worse, like full on gozer mode. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so so Frank's brother Larry and his wife Julia move into this house, and it's immediately shown that their relationship is strained. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, Julia had had an affair with Frank, um, mm-hmm. Larry's creepy, brother, before before they had gotten married. Finger touching affair. Yeah, like it's just like it was supposed to be like a very sensual affair, and she's clearly like still fantasizing about Frank, and it's like getting more and more um like the the fantasies are just becoming more often like more frequent uh-huh. as they've moved into the house and it's like she can't concentrate and clearly just like larry is clearly very in love with her and he seems very naive <coughs> and and mm-hmm. uh but julia is just kind of like she's just aloof she's not there she's not a fan of their teenage daughter mm-hmm. whom yeah. her name's Kirsty, and she doesn't actually live with them um but she visits frequently yeah. um so yeah th- those are the main characters mm-hmm. and so they're moving into this this creepy ass house and <laughs> as the movers are are moving in this mattress larry helps them but he cuts his hand while doing it and he runs, this scene is funny to me, he runs upstairs um, to show Julia, whom is just, like, in the attic for some reason, and he, like, reaches his hand out to her. It's like, help me! Yeah, it's like, it's like he ran up two flights of stairs to do that. He's bleeding all over the attic, and he's just, like, this helpless child with this, like, terrible flesh yeah. wound in his hand. Like, so they rush off to the hospital, but um, after they leave, we see the blood soaking into the floorboards and that is the catalyst for the first major stop motion gore scene of the movie which is frank's resurrection wonderful wonderful it is <laughs> that is actually a pretty cool scene to watch where you just see this like blood soaking in and then this like goop stuff like coming out of the floorboards yeah. and like this like weird skeletal thing board. yeah yeah 
It's like resurrecting, slowly rebuilding himself, which is it's done yeah. very well for the eighties and like well, it's what they had pretty to good work for the eighties. Um, so later, Julia discovers Frank, whom is the the weird thing that came out of the floorboards. Um, and Frank's still very she, confident for being like a stumpy goop monster. Too, he's like, super confident, and he's God. just like <laughs> somehow convinces convinces Julia that he's Frank with like just barely saying anything and he's like blood I need blood she really signs on board quickly for this plan immediately but it is like it is established that she has been fantasizing about him nonstop clearly obsessed with Frank and so she's like okay Frank treats her like shit constantly too like he pulls a knife on her when they have sex like he threatens to cut her and then, yeah, I don't understand her obsession with Frank. Frank no, seems like an asshole. And then they just keep you know? sucking on each other's fingers. Oh yeah, like the weird, nasty skeleton fingers. Stop sucking on so, baby fingers. It's through this. Um, uh, oh yeah, this through this like discussion later where um, basically Julia has had to like seduce men and, and bring them back and. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how Frank them. basically consumes consumes them and regains their life force. And eventually Frank um, tells Julia what happened with that puzzle box. And so we as the audience learn exactly what happened. And it cuts uh, back to that scene. And it kind of shows a little bit more where it's like. That oh, scene, that scene where uh, that when Frank is explaining what happened to him. That is the very first shot that they filmed. It's actually a camera yeah. test. And they only filmed it once because the actor who played Frank had to immediately throw up after filming it because they dumped a bunch of blood on him. And I guess like the spinning and like all the grossness around him just made him throw up from just everything. I can't imagine. They shot that first? That was the very first thing they shot was Frank getting blood dumped on him in his sex dungeon filled with body parts. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That was the first so, thing. Yeah, he, did. They, uh, he explains exactly what the, the box did, and he was saying how for me. <laughs> it's supposed to be uh, basically like box. this box that provides endless pleasure, but it basically just um, they tore him apart and yeah. they gave him an experience that was like beyond anything anyone could ever describe. It was just like but Frank it's seems kind of into it too. He seemed kind of into it, but it basically also um, took him to another dimension. He's lost like his worldly body, so this is the only you. way. Yeah, it traps you in their dimension. So like the only way he he can escape is to be rebuilt this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> with the like hope of them running off together and like leaving Larry behind, Julia's like, okay. I will continue to get more bodies for you. Yeah, no problem. Um, and so this is why it's kind of strange that that Julia, like, because Julia's appearance in the movie is important. Because normally it's not something. It feels weird to say like, "Oh, this woman isn't attractive enough to play this role," <laughs> but because her role is like seducing men, and that men just fall for her instantly to the point where they'll like just go up to a creepy attic with her and fuck her for, you know, yeah, she, yeah. yeah she's supposed to be 
like this insane beauty and yeah but it is good that the guys she seduces are just like schlubby like middle-aged balding dudes so it's it's believable that the guys she's picking up would do that yeah they are at least like yeah these sort of schlubby dudes um yeah so after many men have been lured back to the house due to julia's charm Frank is nearly done with his transformation uh, and smoking Kirstie, cigarettes, wearing shirts, yes. covered in goop. Actually, that's a similarity oh. to the fly. Both of the main yeah. men wear uh, goopy shirts. They wear goopy shirts. <laughs> so at this point, Kirsty has spotted Julia sneaking another man into the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so she follows her up to the attic, interrupting Frank's latest feeding. Yeah. Frank attacks Kirsty. Yeah, and touchy. This is the gross part because Frank um basically is like sexually attracted to Kirsty. Bad Uncle Touch. Bad Uncle Touch. And <laughs> Kirsty finds this like I guess the heaviest object in the room, which happens to be the box, the, box. the puzzle yeah. box. And as she's holding it, it's like, okay. Frank clearly wants this thing. I don't know why. So I'm yeah. just going to toss it out the window. And that's how she escapes. By tossing it out the window, she runs out. Um, Frank freaks out. Grabs. Frank freaks yeah. out. And Kirsty grabs the puzzle box and runs off with it, but eventually collapses because she's still pretty injured by Frank trying to get Yeah, Yeah, that's the only part I don't quite understand. She just kind of like loses consciousness. I guess it's yeah, just a lot it, to process. <laughs> It is explained a little bit better in the book, um, but they didn't they didn't display it properly in the movie. Because yeah. yeah. I'll say I'll go over it more in depth later. But in the book, she is still injured okay. by Frank because he does actually get her and like oh, okay. scratches her chest and stuff. And so it takes a lot for her to not faint in that moment oh, because okay. of the yeah. she's losing blood, but she eventually she escapes and then faints later so that's what happens i don't think she's really in they don't show that yeah Yeah. she just kind of faints but it's fine also would make a lot more sense as to why the doctors would keep her uh locked in a room if they thought that was maybe self-harm or something because yeah that also doesn't make a lot of sense as to why the the doctors are like you have to stay imprisoned in this room and you can't phone anybody who's like your family like that's that not how was a little weird. hospitals work if you're just a normal person that like passed out on the sidewalk you're not treated like a criminal yeah <laughs> but that makes more sense if she actually had wounds and they looked yeah, at the person like, naked or something yeah so but in the movie it's not fully explained and she just kind of collapses and shows up at the hospital and the doctor gives her back like this puzzle box and it's like you're holding on to this like dear life yeah that's right yeah yeah she's clutching it yeah yeah she's clutching it and he's like maybe it'll help jog your memory and so see a lot of slow motion flower blooming (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, like innocence or something i don't know like becoming a woman not exactly sure look that up (laughs) it's probably something creepy Probably something creepy. Um, So she, uh, she is just sort of tinkering around with this box and accidentally summons the engineer, which is another centibite thing. That's the name of that weird 
thing like, in the hallway. Yes. <laughs> it's That's called the, name the, it's called the engineer. What a weird yeah. name for that thing. The hell yeah. does that thing build? <laughs> it's got two build... shitty arms, like a <laughs> head on it for a penis. It's like a big thing coming out the top. It's like a scorpion with that's only the tail. Very so weird. weird. But it's funny because it opens up like this random door. And as you're watching it, you're like, don't go in there. That's no. like a very common horror trope that you will just <laughs> go into this random doorway filled with mist yeah, and die. Like, cracks open Goes reality from a wall yeah. <laughs> like ah uh, don't do it david she bowie could there. be in there it also reminds <laughs> me of labyrinth <laughs> oh yeah it does actually so she goes in there and she's like what what is this and then all of a sudden you just see like this monster thing chasing yeah. after her in this hallway and it takes up the whole hallway basically and it's just like it's it's the angriest puppet <laughs> angry giant puppet and she barely escapes and as she gets back into the room, the other set of bites appear. Yes. So you see Pinhead and Chatterer and Butterball. And I forget the favorites. ladies. Creepy um, woman. <laughs> creepy lady. Um, yeah. And basically, they they want to take her back to their dimension with her with them because she's basically summoned them with you this puzzle. You open the box. box. You, you gotta... That's what it does. Doesn't Part matter time. It's like a bunch of globes and lights coming out of it. It's like a mobile party. Kirsty is like, but actually, I got this from Frank. He he's still alive. I got it from Frank, and they're like, "Oh, I remember Frank." What does that have to do with you? And we do not care. Like that's how he talks in the movie. Finn very intense talking. Yeah. Very monotone. What does this have to do with you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can take him in my place. And uh, basically, they kind of agree. They're just like, okay, but if you're lying to me, we will tear your soul apart. Yeah. And it was like, Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, I believe yeah. them. Go fuck with them. I believe yeah, them. Yeah, that's not a threat that a lot of people throw out. It's like, you know, I will rip your soul apart. It's like, I don't know. What... That seems bad. That seems like the bad touch. (laughs) Bad touch. And yeah, so she goes back to the stupid creepy house and she sees her dad and and she's Papa. (laughs) Yeah. Papa's got a goopy face. Why is your face so goopy, Dad? Um You don't normally have open wounds all over you. So we find out that um, Frank is actually wearing Larry's skin. Yay! Yay! Old Larry's just a dead old meat sack now. He got drained. Oh, Larry. So yeah, Frank is wearing Larry's skin. Such a nice thing for a brother to do to his own brother. Um, And uh, let me see. Where are we at? Yes. And then Frank accidentally kills Julia when trying to kill Kirsty. Um, <laughs> because yeah, Kirsty is like trying to get away from Frank, but Julia is holding Kirsty and there's like this struggle and Kirsty gets away at the last minute. And Frank actually accidentally, like his hand goes into Julia and then he drains Julia's life force. Oh, that's see- right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't seem very sad about it at all. He's no, just like, Frank know. is totally on board with it because he's he's now all about getting gross uh, 
incest. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. I love <laughs> right. that. And yeah. uh, Frank then chases Kirsty to the attic, and after hearing him admit to being Frank in Larry's skin, the Cenobites once again tear him apart. And they appear. Hello. <laughs> yeah, they show up, and and Frank's like, "Oh shit!" And then all the like the, the chains come out, and yeah, that's when you see the famous scene of him being <laughs> torn apart. You see like his skin stretching, and he's like, "Jesus wept," and it just like explodes his face, <laughs> which. Funny, funny thing, right. like the, the actor actually suggested to Clive Barker that that's what he should say. And Clive was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And so that yeah. was the actor's I, idea. Yeah, because I think the original line was just him saying, like, fuck you or something, like, really generic. Yeah. Like, that's what he would Jesus. say. That's way more messed up. I don't know exactly what it means, but I don't know. I don't know what it means, but it's, that sounds creepy. I bet um, he would weep if he saw whatever is happening. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I'm at this point, the, at this point, the Cenobites are not going after Kirsty, even though she has given them Frank. They're still just like, "Well, you're here. Hey, let's, let's take." How you. about one more and, for our little pleasure party? <laughs> more right? the merrier. They're all she inclusive. Still has, she still has the box, so she's able to just close the. It's funny because yeah, she's like, trying. <laughs> These scenes are so dramatic, and all she has to do is just close the box while she's yeah. around them. So she does that for each one, and they all go away. And at the last second, Kirsty's boyfriend shows up, and he kind of just is here. Yeah, and he's he very barely in introduced. Movie. He's introduced at some point. It is not important. He has no role in the story except to just be here to like help Kirsty leave because yeah. for some reason she can't escape herself in the movie. For it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> she's but, a woman in the eighties. She can't do that. <laughs> How is she and expected house, to open a door on her own? And the house at this point is now collapsing and it's on fire, I think. Or I think Yeah, yeah well it's the on engineer fire. comes through the front door too and he's like, Hey, remember me? <laughs> and he yeah, like kind of spooks her out and yeah then i yeah. think it gets like swallowed up or yeah it burns down there's a lot of light shooting out of it and uh yeah i don't know it might get sucked into a hell dimension or something or something happens and <laughs> the house um, doesn't make it the house doesn't make it and we the next scene is we just see kirsty and her boyfriend kirsty's throwing she throws the box into like this um it's like Fiery hobo pit, which is called a pyre. I didn't know that's what those were called. P Y R E. Oh. Well, I know pyre. like a pyre, like, you know, it's like kind of like Vikings use them when like burning their dead warriors and stuff. Like, but oh, that just looked yeah, like so a burning was... pile of trash. Yeah, she's thrown it into a burning pile of trash. And this vagrant who has been kind of like stalking her throughout the movie. He's just kind of in the background every now uh, and then. Well, there's that he one shows disgusting up. scene where he's just eating crickets in the, in like yeah, the pet right. store. He's in a pet store them. that looked like the, um, this parrot is deceased. This is a deceased parrot from Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. This the, is the outtakes from the Monty parrot. Python skit. Yeah. <laughs> there's just this homeless person in the background eating crickets. This parrot is no more. So stupid. Anyways. <laughs> So, so this vagrant shows up. <laughs> I would much rather it be the Monty Python sketch. Than I would have a much better time watching that. Uh, I would. 
so the vagrant shows up and he just walks into the fire to get the box and he's on fire and then he transforms into this winged skeleton thing flies into the night and then the scene zooms out to make it look like it is taking place inside the cube i don't know i don't think that's the intention of of life parker but it looked like it was like how it looked like it was all happening in the puzzle cube i'm like was this just is this just their personal hell is that what that is i don't know it's very big and when the camera zooms out of of the puzzle box you see that the original um guy from the start the pleasure dealer (laughs) is holding is holding the cube again offering it to a new customer and we end off the movie with the pleasure dealer once again saying what's your pleasure sir that's it that also reminds me of the Monty Python scene from the Holy Grail. But it's like that, that, the creepy dude on the bridge who asks him, I'll ask you these three questions. Yes. What is your favorite color? Yeah. He also, what it's, it's like. the speed velocity of a swallow? <laughs> He's like, oh my God. It's also like the beginning, the intro to Aladdin when the little that little guy introduces yeah. the movie and he starts he introduces the whole kicks off the whole story it's like that's the pleasure dealer from hellraiser (laughs) yeah yeah that's true they're in some sort of weird like desert town (laughs) yeah a weird desert town like that's where he got this box and then all of a sudden he's just in his attic that's why it was like like, very somewhere in suburban america Because it was very jarring to me. I didn't understand it. I couldn't follow it at first because I thought he was just in a creepy room Mm -hmm. in that same desert town. So then when you see his brother moving into a new house, you don't immediately understand it's the same house. So like that wasn't introduced (laughs) very well. And also explain that why he moves into a house. They don't explain that Frank and Larry are brothers and yeah. so when she's fantasizing about it's like it's so much of vagueness yeah so yeah. i feel like it was much it was better explained in the book because you can't explain it easier in yeah. books so it was it was just a little vague at the beginning like why did they even move into that house like does he know that it's frank's old house is it just a complete coincidence that his brother's moving into his old brother's house like yeah i don't it's, know it's odd yeah they don't really explain that like he's like oh i got a great deal because my brother frank disappeared and now i can live in this shitty house filled with maggots and cockroaches it's like a casual conversation in the book where it's like uh julia's like well what if what if frank comes back to the house and <laughs> and the, the, the husband is just like oh i mean like it's it's fine. We'll just buy him out. It's no big deal. <laughs> I think he just said something like that. This is so casual. It. People move yeah. into their brother's houses all the time. You know, it's fine. Yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. So yeah, that was the summary. That was the detailed summary of Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. And now we can get into the fun, gory stuff. So. Oh boy. Um, well, yeah, it's funny. The, I'll uh... let you start. I do have some points, but I, I'm sure you also have the same ones <laughs> but yeah it's some good stuff i didn't i didn't see uh i didn't notice i didn't uh, get know about like some of the stuff with like the butterball and how how long it took him to get his makeup on and oh, stuff yeah. oh, poor guy it was, 
funny hearing the actor talk about that because there's just an interview and it's so hard to piece it together in like a concise way because the interviews are just like here's a little snippet from the guy who played butterball and he's talking about and he's like this very skinny attractive dude that was playing butterball and it was like you played him okay so he had to wear like this super thick mask where they would like take a mold of his face and just like build the mask on top of it with silicone so and stuff yeah. and so when they stretched it over his face it took two to three people and at <laughs> one point he was like he was like yeah it would sometimes take over a minute for it to like settle in place and during that minute i couldn't breathe because the silicone would be covering my nose and my mouth so i just had to hope that it would get there before my breath ran out I was Jesus like, <laughs> there should have been like something like, to make put a sure straw you in your mouth or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you shouldn't have to worry about whether you will be able to start breathing soon or not. That's uh seems like probably yeah. nowadays. That's indie movie making for you. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh that was a very common theme throughout all of the Cinnabite uh costumes because they all yeah. had their own like level of shittiness that they had to deal with. <laughs> They would just be sitting alone in isolation for 12 to 14 hours while they waited for, like, their little, their tiny roles in the movie. Because they're not in the movie very much, but they're definitely the most memorable part of the movie, which goes to show the design and how good they are and how memorable they are. Because they're only in the movie for maybe five to ten minutes at most, but... It's the most memorable parts. That's, that's oh, yeah. Sure. They didn't need to be in it for long. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, less is more when it comes to creepy interdimensional demon perverts. They, uh, yeah. yeah. So, like, Pinhead, the actor who played Pinhead, he, he, he was actually, he had a really hard time um, hitting his marks because the, the contacts, the black contacts he gave him, he couldn't see through them. So he was oh, really okay. afraid of, like, moving too much because he, he had no idea where he was going and he was really afraid of tripping over like his skirt that he had on because he has all those like leather flaps yeah. at his waistline that w- that went over his feet so he's blind has these stupid leather straps that he's trying to deal with and like not fall over while still being this intimidating interdimensional uh creep and yeah. so yeah he, he couldn't see and then the the female version she uh apparently it was so painful to have the makeup on that the original act actor actually quit and they she refused oh, to come shit. back after she put on the makeup she refused to come back she's like i'm not fucking doing this well, I, I wonder don't how painful it was yeah so they uh because apparently her her design was based off of uh off of um ritualistic scarring and piercings that Clive Barker saw in National Geographic's magazines. Yeah. So like, yeah, like those tribal piercings where they yeah. put like things through their throat or like really long pieces of metal through their nose or like the sides of their cheeks or something like very yeah. intense piercings. And that you could see that because she has like this metal, these two metal bars that just stab into her cheeks that look very uncomfortable yeah. to wear. So I'm guessing... That probably didn't feel great. And just the general outfit, I imagine, is horribly uncomfortable. Not to mention, like, the makeup. Because she had her vocal cord makeup, like, which was super gross. 
So like, I wonder how they got the metal to stay on if they actually they wouldn't have to actually pierce them, would they? No, no. But I bet it was like pushing pretty hard, like into their skin. So it probably didn't feel great. I imagine. <laughs> I don't imagine it would feel lovely. No. Yeah, yeah. They uh they had a pretty pretty tough time dealing with uh with that stuff just because of how <laughs> horribly uncomfortable <laughs> it all was, and also like. Pinhead's makeup took six hours to put on. And uh, he, I don't know how Clive Barker chose this inspiration for Pinhead, but he was actually uh, inspired by, uh, let me just get this right here, uh, African fetish dolls. (laughs) Tribal African fetish dolls. Is what oh, Pinhead's wow. based off of. So, uh, yeah, uh, if they look like that, holy shit, that is terrifying. That's terrifying. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. so I don't know exactly what that is, but yeah, they are inspired by that. And again, also they're inspired by Clive Barker's general love for going to S and M bars in New York and Amsterdam. Okay. <laughs> That's- I imagine Clive Barker has some very colorful friends. Just, yeah. Yeah. That dude's been to some weird parties. <laughs> <laughs> some really. very colorful friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, oh, you know, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know. They said that apparently the original Pinhead, he, the more we talk about this, the more uncomfortable I feel. He got, they wanted <laughs> him to have like a, like a belly button piercing because they wanted to hint at the idea that that uh, Pinhead would have a crap load of genital piercings. And if his penis cool. looks like his face, wow. <laughs> uh, in the um in the book, they uh they described Pinhead as having like even his tongue looked like his face. Oh his that tongue. would be horrifying. Oh, that'd be super creepy like, if they I'm did that. I'm so glad that they didn't try to do that. Because, like, what the fuck? Oh, that's super Ow. creepy. <laughs> Ew. So he's just, like, pierced all over, essentially. All like, over. Just everywhere, yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently, uh, maybe not surprisingly, this movie had a hard time getting past the MPAA. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, yeah, general, I think it was, like, general in intensity intense gore i guess was the term they used and so apparently they actually changed the transformation scene that happens to frank at the beginning when he i don't know what it was originally but apparently it was too hardcore for people to see so they had to actually change that they uh yeah. also there's apparently a, a far more shocking death the, with the third guy that frank drains apparently was very graphic oh. They did. Then they had to reshoot that as well and tone it down a oh, lot, because whatever oh. he does to him is apparently <laughs> too messed up for people to watch. And, It'd probably uh, go. Yeah, they probably show it today, but yeah, it would be like maybe I don't know if, they, if well, I don't know the reboot's probably just going to be dog shit. But if it is a good reboot, it would be nice if they actually did maybe stick closer to some of the ideas from the book that you're telling me. Like, man, if Pinhead has like creepy tongue nails and stuff like hey, i'm on yeah. board for that weirdness <laughs> i'll pay my oh, yeah. ticket to watch that Some i would yeah shit. 
So it'll be interesting. That'll be uh, interesting to see how far they go with that. It better be rated R. That's all I have to say. That shit's PG-13. You get to watch it before I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going into that one blind. (laughs) It's probably a good idea. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just go and watch Pinhead and see what terrible, disgusting things he has to say. You know. But yeah, magic so they, of CG. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I hope it's practical effects because that's also kind of part of it. Like, also, well, I don't know. It'll probably again just be terrible. And I don't have faith. <laughs> have tons of pinhead in it, and you'll probably have like chains shooting out of them, and who knows what stupid stuff they'll do. But oh, they uh, one day I'll probably have to to work on a VFX show with tons of gore, just like knowing my luck. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> that I, Very I, exciting project for you. I would enjoy animating a horror movie. That would be that'd be fun. I'd be one of those weirdos <laughs> that would volunteer for it. Like, yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> give me the gory part. Is there a shot where something gets ripped in half? Oh, that'd be awesome. I I totally animate the <laughs> ripped in half. <laughs> Maybe it would make it less scary if I w- if I actually worked on it. Who yeah. knows? It, it demystifies it. Although you do yeah. have to like. I <laughs> I was talking with someone who. Uh, he worked on the uh, the Mortal Kombat 11 uh, finishing moves that are ultra gory, and they had to look for reference. They had to look up like actual oh, no. murdered bodies and stuff, like really grotesque things. So people like had to quit the project because they were like it was affecting them mentally, having to like stare yeah, at all this I couldn't, disgusting I reference. That would be pretty There's hard. No to... way. <laughs> no, you're curling up from a ball right now. <laughs> Just thinking about it. Can't. <laughs> yeah, maybe immersion therapy isn't the route <laughs> to go there. Just to avoidance, general avoidance. Just avoid. That's fine. I think that's probably the best way to go. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what happens in it. Perfect. It'll be enough. <laughs> yeah, so it's apparently uh, Pinhead, they, uh, they, when they were trying to like come up with his like acting reference and like what he was supposed to act like, uh, Clive Barker and him, uh, Clive Barker told him essentially, he's like, you're kind of like, uh, you're like the head surgeon of a hospital and you're responsible for doing like all of the knife work essentially and cutting people open, but you're also like an administrator. So you're, you're always trying to get get things moving and going along efficiently. So he's kind of like this this like admin sex pervert that's always just trying to make sure everyone's efficiently doing perverted things. Everyone and that's has why he, to efficiently be perverted. Yeah, that's why he like talks so like very matter of factly and like kind of like intelligently, but also very like uh, to the point. He's very he's very very blunt when he talks. <laughs> in general about his like he takes perversion very seriously it's like part of his job like he's like i will show you pleasures beyond the human understanding we are angels to some and devils to others it's like yes he oh who does he remind me of that voice uh it'll come to me it'll come to me later um but it in the interviews, they all said that Pinhead basically was like, um, he was basically just in control at all times. Yeah. He, 
that's sort of like why he seemed menacing is because you just will never win a fight against him because he's always in control and he's sort of got this authoritative calmness about mm. him. Yes, he, he you know he's like he always has a plan and he's never rattled by anything and they actually had to fight for that in the movie because at the time uh Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th were really popular and so the studio kept trying to either get Pinhead to be jokey and like quippy or oh my god be, which would be oh one. god I can't even imagine like wearing that oh, outfit and like cracking jokes no. like, oh fuck no no <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so weird and is either that or they want him to be just like silent like jason essentially and just murder people and just kind of be like okay. a slasher villain but then he told him essentially mm -hmm. he's like well you know the reason why silence of the lambs is scary is because hannibal lecter is like so intelligent with his evil and that's like that's true. why yeah he is everyone finds it very intimidating because it is intimidating to have an intelligent villain like someone who very is very aware of what they're doing. They're not just like driven by an emotion or trauma or something. It's like, no, this dude, his job is very important to him and he loves being a pervert and tearing people apart with chains. That's that's his shtick. So it gets him he up in the morning. He loves being a pervert. He you takes know, it very seriously. Everyone has to have a hobby. Well, and they... Everyone has... <laughs> Everyone's gotta have a thing. Yeah. What's well, for a thing? <laughs> yeah, Pinhead right under the sound effects. Yeah, my thing sound effects. My thing is sadomasochism. <laughs> my thing is tying people up and tearing apart their souls. <laughs> Since he's just standing in the hallway of a kid's elementary school. <laughs> that my is name a, is that Pinhead. Is that is a reference to like a very 90s ad in Canada, if anyone is wondering. PSA, that is deep cutting it. <laughs> deep, deep cutting it. Anyways. Deep Canadian cuts. <laughs> sound effect that was my favorite oh yeah, yeah. Think sound effect and then there's a kid that his thing you, is magic. if you go on youtube they've they've like they've hooked it up where they put like they, they put the the t-rex from jurassic park over top of the kid's <laughs> sound effect so it's like <laughs> it's so great i love it just, yeah look it up on youtube everybody just uh yeah t-rex sound effects kid <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll psa talk. Yeah, you'll, you'll find it. It's, it's a chuckle. That kid got beat up oh, a good. lot. I bet. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of poor guys, uh, Pinhead was also just a poor guy once upon a time in his backstory. Ah. He was just a just a normal dude who I guess happened to find the box at some point in time, and he essentially. I don't know, just really excelled in there and became the head of the Cinnabites. And he is like, uh, they said, said that, yeah, they said that like he, it's like really torture. He's really tortured because he's, he's eternally aware that he used to be a human and he understands that he used to have normal human emotions and he used to have humanity. And part of oh. Pinhead is always, always mourning the loss of his own humanity. So he actually is like, emotionless he, he is unable to feel any emotions anymore because his humanity is gone so essentially yeah. no matter what he does he can't feel anything he's just like stone essentially and that's why he is the way he wow. is that's why he doesn't give a shit <laughs> you know, or, yeah. about much <laughs> or anything yeah, yeah that makes sense so yeah that's why he is the way he is poor little pinhead just uh just wanted to be a normal boy that's again. once a very nice 
man. Probably not very nice, but at least a okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was once a human man with yeah, emotion. You know, capable of full emotional range before he became yeah. a S&M pervert. <laughs> interdimensional S&M pervert, you know, as you do. <laughs> but yes. uh, yeah, that was about all I could find about uh, about okay. Pinhead. And uh, you got some good stuff about uh, Frank. I couldn't find anything on the skeleton scene, actually. I don't know if you want to oh, go really? over that. Because, yeah, I couldn't find any of it. Sure. Yeah, so there's... It was hard to find... Uh, it's shockingly hard to find stuff about this movie, even though it's, it's such, like, a, a cult classic at this point. Because I think you yeah. kind of would have to have the Blu-ray disc and have... The special features that are included on there yeah, so yeah what i could find is just little bits and pieces but this the frank skeleton scene when he comes out from the floorboards they basically um they they had a, a separate rig for sort of each moment mm-hmm. um, so they had a separate rig for the floorboards to move like they jiggled a little bit at the start and there's um a separate rig that just pumped out like this super thick viscous goop no and, um, <laughs> the goop it's always the, the goop. goop and there's another rig for the blood they actually pumped blood through the floorboards and then they shot oh. it in reverse so it looked like it was getting sucked in yeah and that was the cool. whole the whole brain skeleton building scenes those were all shot in reverse which i thought was kind of cool i immediately recognized the blood shot or the blood scene being mm-hmm. shot in reverse. Yeah. Because it's like there's no way they could have done it otherwise. But it looked really good. And mm-hmm. um, the brain skeleton building scene was really cool because they actually built um, all of these props so that they could be melted. So it actually started out um, like they would have like this brain that was kind of waxy. And they mm. actually just burnt it, and it melted, and th- that was shot in reverse. So it looked like it was yeah, being there's like a lot built from under, footage. under the floorboards coming up. But it was actually it just being melted into the floorboards. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing when you see, um, there's like this little rig of of Frank of like this very rudimentary skeleton. They had him like set up and all goopy. And they basically just destroyed it. And yeah. that was also shot in reverse. Where, so it just made it look like it was like pulling itself up by its arms, but it was actually just like breaking. And they oh, had to that's interesting. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that worked out well. You guys are lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. They like reverse footage. It's like, I'm definitely noticing that more and more watching like all the special features yeah. about how much reverse footage is used and how good of a trick it is essentially yeah if you do it right because that's apparently how in like probably the 13th movies like or any like horror movie where someone gets stabbed with a knife really hard it's generally reverse footage where they start with the knife poking into somebody and then they just pull it out really fast and then reverse it so it looks like they're getting stabbed oh that's cool yeah i didn't know that yeah so that that was most of what i found on the stop motion ish part well the stop um, also to add to the stop motion um the end of the movie i guess is uh was famously kind of like uh um considered painful uh i guess like they well the very end with the demon the hobo guy when he lights on fire and turns into like a big oh, skeleton thing okay. and flies away uh <laughs> people kind of like 
always bug Clive Barker because they said it looked shitty. And he's like, yeah, well, we ran out of money at that point. So that whole sequence is uh, actually hand animated by Clive Barker and some Greek guy. (laughs) He said over the course of a weekend, Clive Barker and this Greek guy that he knew hand animated the whole scene. And he's quoted saying that uh, he's like, I'm actually quite happy with how it turned out, considering the amount of alcohol that we were consuming over that weekend. So they both got wasted and then animated this goofy skeleton demon at the end of the movie. Hey, that's honestly, for someone that is not an animator, I'm very impressed. Like, yeah, like, I'm like, wow, Clyde Barker's very talented. Like, he wrote it, he directed it. Like, he drew all the concept. He fucking <laughs> animated it. Jesus, that dude did wow. a lot for that movie. He really uh, made sure that got made. Good for him. That's why the um, new one will probably suck, <laughs> and probably why every sequel it's probably has been lacking all passion because this yeah. is a this is a passion project yes. by Clive Barker, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to be passionate about this subject matter to get it made. Because uh-huh. a lot of people were telling him <laughs> like. The amount of stuff he had to fight for to like actually get even make it into the movie. Like it's so funny. I watched a few interviews about the actors, like the guy who plays Larry and and the yeah. and the Gozer lady. <laughs> and they're just like they're they're talking, they're trying to describe the movie, and they're like, Yeah, the guy, the Larry guy, he's like, Yeah, I don't I think this will be a very divisive movie. It'll either you'll either hate it <laughs> or you'll be like yeah okay cool I'm into this it's like i don't think there's gonna be a I lot of know. middle ground and people i also like don't him. know many people that love it like yeah. love it <laughs> it's a hard sure movie to love. it's just kind of like i watched it well the female lead she was talking about how um because there's like scenes where she kind of like revels in like the kill after she helps like Frank kill those guys. Apparently, after she filmed those scenes, no one would talk to her on the sex. They're all freaked out by her. <laughs> they, like, yeah. She's like, I guess it's because it's a woman doing it or something. But yeah, no one wanted to talk to me after filming those scenes oh, because they the were fuck? freaked out by her. <laughs> so she's just a really good actress. She did a good job. Yeah. And yeah. she seems like a completely normal, nice lady, too. She's like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like, it's, like, seems it's nice. a very weird movie. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And I was also going to say about uh, Frank, I guess, Frank slash Larry, like when um, Larry, it's the actor who plays Larry, but it's when it's Frank and Larry's skin. Yeah. And uh, the final, the final scene with all the prosthetics, <laughs> not the final, final scene, but the final like crazy gore scene. Yeah. When he's uh, all chained apparently, up. yeah, it was just extremely painful to wear all those prosthetics because you can imagine it's just like, he's just chained up. Like he's fully actor's chained up. He's fully suspended and he's got all these prosthetics just like pulling off of his face. Um, and I think it put, he said it took more than one day to just set up the scene. Wow. Just to set it up. Jeez. Like not even the acting, just the setup for it. Yeah. Um, well, like also there's so much stuff in there going on yeah. that, at that point. Like it's full Cinebite chain S&M attic with guts and stuff. <laughs> it's uh, oof. 
Yeah. It is so, a visually striking scene. I will give it that. Oh, and it was funny because I was listening to the um, the designer for who does the person who designed the visual makeup and stuff for all the setabites. Oh boy. Um, she was saying she just got five notes from Clive Barker, and this is what <laughs> he said: that one, there needed to be areas revealing flesh that torture had been apparent. And two, there's butchering involved. Three, just this, just said or, um, repulsive glamour in quotations. <laughs> repulsive glamour. Very good way to describe glamour. them. Repulsive glamour. Four, magnificent super witches. <laughs> <laughs> and five, there needed to be four to five of them. That's all he gave her. It was like, wow. that. and like, he still had the book, so you could like, yeah, refer to what he described there, them. But... Oh, that's some artistic freedom right there. <laughs> yeah. Apparently um, the uh the actor who plays the the daughter, she was so freaked out by the movie, she actually had to leave during the first screening of it and she's never watched the whole thing. <laughs> Cuz when she was acting in it, um she was very separated from the whole movie as like as a whole, you know, like she read the script, alone. but Yeah but she didn't actually necessarily see what else was happening in the movie. So when she saw it all put together, she, she finally <laughs> caught all the like sexual <laughs> taste of the whole Ew, thing. Sexual taste. Bad taste. Bad taste. The bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> and she just like looked at Clive and was like, Clive, what the fuck? <laughs> That's what she said when she watched it. She couldn't, couldn't handle it. You know, you know, you made a shocking movie when the main actors in your movie is horrified by what they're in. But she said um, one of the first scenes that she tried out for, I was like, okay, how could you have not known that this is a fucked movie? Because like the first scene she tried out for, Clive was like, all right, so <laughs> your right. your uncle is wearing your dad's skin oh, and he God. wants to fuck you but because you don't want to fuck him he wants to now murder you how do you feel <laughs> like that was oh boy hey he, he <laughs> put it all on the table first. right away that was the first thing she tried out for and like like how did you not know this was gonna be like a weird sexual movie <laughs> how did you not at the very least, you know that there is a plot line where your uncle wants to have sex with you. Like, that yeah. alone is pretty Wearing goddamn... your father's skin. <laughs> yeah, wearing your father's skin. Like, how... that would that definitely how? raise the questions of how does that happen in the movie? That's really fucked up. <laughs> kind of fucked. But yeah, I don't know. Did you have more behind the scenes stuff or was that most of it? No, that was about it. Yeah, I didn't find... Okay. Uh... Too much because I don't have, unfortunately. Yeah, I really wish I had like the special edition or something of this movie, but yeah, I don't have so like, I did have disc. some like I have some very minor points before I get into the novella. Like, some random things that I heard on the interviews is that mm -hmm. the actors all complained about how ugly and creepy the house was that they had to <laughs> act in, <laughs> they were all so creeped out by the house because he, the actor who played Larry. He was like, he just wished that they could act stuff out in a different location because the house itself was just super creepy. So gross. Um, 
And the shot where the daughter is being chased down the hall by the engineer, that took three weeks to shoot that. Wow. Took a long ass time. That's been one of the longest shots in the um, Yeah, and for the sequels, uh, they wouldn't pay the actor who played Larry enough money. They, they wanted to pay him less money than he got from the first one. Oh, so that's weird. he was like, fuck you, I'm not gonna... Yeah. No, no thanks. Oh, that's interesting. He so, was actually going to be in them, though. Like He was going to be in them. And the only reason that um, the actress who played Kirsten, yeah. Kirsty, was in it, um, is because she was contractually obligated to do um, two of the sequels like oh. as, when she signed on to do it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So they actually already planned to make sequels even with the first one even though i guess clive barker isn't necessarily involved in it but i'm pretty sure he didn't he might have done no i think he did the second one because i I didn't watch i haven't haven't watched all the second one but it kind of has a similar plot except it's the woman uh she escapes out of the box and she's trying to rebuild herself and she convinces somebody to help her like consume people essentially and uh the main girl's in an insane asylum (laughs) Just, oh yeah okay. which is perfect pretty uh understandable she's driven insane and has to like be in this insane asylum she tries to tell people about like pinhead and what she saw and they're like well you're crazy you're <laughs> and insane pinhead kind of starts like kind of like haunts her i guess like in the oh. insane asylum and then i just kind of stopped watching it <laughs> that's cool <laughs> yeah I, yeah and i have seen the third one or the fourth one one of the sequels that wasn't very good Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't overly inspired to watch this movie in the first place. So, <laughs> so you may not be driven I, to watch the sequel. I'm not driven to watch any of the other ones. I'm kind of curious about their backstories. Like I would like to know more about how they came to be these weird set creatures, mm-hmm. which yeah. fun fact, they are actually, uh, cause in the movie, they sort of are mistakenly described at the beginning as like demons yeah, or from hell, but they're just um, travelers from another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people can interpret it as hell, I guess, but it's just, yeah. Yeah. And they, it is sort of like explained later in the movie that they're just from another dimension. But when I, like I was researching dimension. this movie, some people just kind of, kept describing them as demons yeah they're not they're not they used demons. To be <laughs> they're traveling they're perverts demons. they're traveling perverts i think yeah we've <laughs> already said that a few times but yeah i can get into the novella now because the um it's funny that my my role in a lot of these gorehead and wiener episodes is like i will research the non-gore things and just listen to the the <laughs> the audiobook yeah yeah so that's true yeah nice. it helps you process the yeah. horror a bit better it does i like it i like to get into the um to hear the original story and see how it's evolved and yeah. um clive barker actually wrote this novella and it's it's pretty short like the audiobook is three hours so okay. it's not that long no. and honestly it is really close to the movie and i think uh obviously the fact that clive wrote the original novella and mm-hmm. he directed the movie really helps he's kept the spirit yeah alive and from his novella so reading through it it actually felt like i was kind of re-watching the movie and oh that's good for you <laughs> i mean but yeah. it's a little easier because he's 
he's very good with words. Like he's very, I'd almost say, I saw someone else write this review after reading through the novella that Mm -hmm. Clive Barker is sort of like a Stephen King that doesn't ramble. So (laughs) he gets straight to the point and then he moves on, which is why his book is so short. Yeah, but it's perfect because it's like you wouldn't need him to ramble anymore. Yeah, than, yeah, you're not in for a 700 page slog. No, it's very straight to the point, and um, it was yeah, it's really well done. There's just some differences, and a lot of a lot of what happens in the movie is just kind of expanded upon, and I guess kind of cleared up in the book. Because, okay. um, like I said, the beginning was a little too vague for me. Yeah. in the movie where it's not necessarily described why um frank wanted to go and get this weird pleasure box but yeah he does. backstory is very vague in general it's like... super vague so mm-hmm. i guess he in the in the book he's just like i said before he's kind of just grown very tired of life Worldly he's become super bored he wants he sort of selfishly is wanting to experience more of life's pleasures. And mm-hmm. in the book, it's sort of described like what he wants is still kind of fucked up, but it is very much more of like what, um, like somebody would expect would Normal be like a really fantasy. crazy fantasy is like, he wanted to sleep with like, he described it as like, a carpet of sexy writhing women that all desired him and like he would have to Jesus. like be the only one to give them what they wanted and oh, i was like that's still kind of fucked. um but it's not women being, that's a it's very being, very interesting <laughs> description that is right? oh <laughs> it's that's still a mental not, image it's still not as disturbing as being ripped apart. You know what I mean? So that, is, like, <laughs> that is true. So At least everyone like, walks away that from fantasy, that. That fantasy is still, it's still very like sexist and kind of fucked. Yeah. yeah. But, but we do live in a world where not... bukkakis are a thing. So yeah, it's about the same. Oh my God. I am not going to describe what that is if people are curious. You can Google it and be ashamed like everybody else. So, anyways, um, so his fantasy is um, it's at least a little bit more understandable than what he receives. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He, he's looking forward to a bunch of hot naked ladies that want him. Instead, he gets weirdos with chains and nipple piercings. Yeah, so that's what he's imagining, and he's like, he apparently had prepared his attic for days. Like he, he set everything up and he had candles candles. And in the book they describe as the way you solve this thing is it's partially within your mindset as also within what you, you do to the cube. So it's, um, he was preparing himself mentally as well as like preparing the space and stuff. So I think that was part of it. Some spooky um, magical cube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Makes he sense. finally opens the cube, and this part is really vague in the book, but I think it's kind of supposed to be. So he 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 opens the cube thing, he thinks he solved it, and he's like, Why is nothing happening? Nothing's happening. <laughs> he's like seeing these lights and then they just like disappear. And then suddenly he's like super overwhelmed with 
senses and he's um reliving many childhood memories and experiences but the way that the memories and experiencing experiences are, are happening is that it's basically all his senses are being used at once at like full capacity okay. to the point where it's like you almost it feels like it's too much and then as soon as you feel it's too much another layer on top happens so okay. it's like it keeps building and it keeps building to the point where he feels like he's gonna explode because it's just such sensory overload yeah yeah and and then suddenly mm -hmm. all his senses are gone like he has no sense of he can't see he can't smell he can't taste he can't feel he's just like he thought he had died like he oh. was just in a void and then oh. he wakes up and he sees some cetabites standing around him and they're like oh you're awake you you had a nice dream didn't oh, you I... it was a lovely dream and it, so he just that was just a dream <laughs> that he had oh, it was like that was the first experience it was Jesus. like just this dream. <laughs> just dream and he wakes up and um really that's kind of and then that's kind of where the book stops describing that moment is <laughs> After the dream, he wakes up and the set of bites start um, doing, doing some fun shit. Doing their business. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And, yes, it's delightful. Um, <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Hello. So, so, yeah. the Oh, yeah. He also describes the sensations that he's feeling while even just in the dream as yeah. not anything a person on earth would describe as pleasure. Yeah. But it it was he was like he could he could see maybe someone else I'm, describing it as pleasure if they had never been to Earth. It's like kind of weird. It's like okay, so yeah. overwhelming that it's just so it's just very intense. So it's yeah. almost like the moment it stops, it's yeah. pleasurable. But it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Really I, I guess that's like you know yeah S and M stuff where it's like yeah. yeah. That's, comes from that sounds kind of what SNM would be. But yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's, yeah, that's probably pretty close. You know, that's a yeah, that'd be a very bizarre experience. It doesn't sound like my cup of tea. <laughs> doesn't sound like a thing that I want to do. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. So the other difference in the book is that Larry. In the movie, his name is Rory in the book. Oh, oh okay. He is Rory. Interesting and change. He's, yeah. He's described as, um, he's basically in love with Julia solely because of her beauty. Okay. But he's so, so naive that he doesn't. Oh, yes, it is many times. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's sort of like naively in love with her, kind of. Like in lust with her, but yeah, not yeah. fully rec being able to recognize that it's not love, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, his daughter, Kirsty, she can recognize it. It's like mm -hmm. she obviously knew her dad when he was in love with um, her mom, mom. Yeah. so it's like that, you know, it's a different type of love. Um, and she sort of recognizes Julia as just kind of this vapid beautiful woman who doesn't really give a shit about her father she's yeah. just kind of there she's obviously not in love with him but she is one of the most beautiful women she's ever seen and she can just she's like described julia is described as like this ethereal beauty that it looks like she does everything almost 
um, effortlessly, mm, like very yeah. graceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Julia herself is just clearly still obsessed with Frank, and she's like in this still like this mindset. I think halfway through the book, she realizes that she's clearly just in love with Frank. She always has been, yeah, and yeah. she can't stop lusting over the experiences they had in the past. Yes. Um, and Kirsty is um, mostly just innocent and loves her father dearly. That's kind of yeah. her character. And she sort of me. becomes stronger near the end of the book. She, It's not like she necessarily goes through an arc because she doesn't change. She just sort of realizes her own strength. Yeah. Kind of has to um, muster up the courage not to get sucked into a hell dimension. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, there's not too many differences throughout the middle of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah to that but there Yeah, that part was very 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 similar. The what there's one minor difference where um the father sort of Rory recognizes that there's a bit of a a change in Julia and this is right after she discovers that Frank is in the attic. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she does. She goes through like a. It's funny because she goes through like a visual change for <laughs> Rory oh. is like, she's she's not looking very good. Like she looks like there's she looks like she's ill. Like there's something uh-huh. wrong with her, and she's acting really weird. Hmm. And um, so he asks um, Kirsty to go to the house and just sort of ask her what's going on if there's anything wrong as if like maybe julia would trust her more for some reason but it's very obvious that julia kind of hates kirsty in the book um so kirsty goes to the door and knocks on the door and um julia opens it and she's apparently just like covered in sweat and it looks like she had just had sex with someone Uh. and she can see um kirsty can see that there's like another man's coat on the coat rack behind uh, her okay, yeah. and so that's when she kind of is like oh shit there's something going on she's clearly having an affair yeah and it's sort of like in kirsty's mind the reason why she looks like off is because she's just having an affair with someone so she's just always like she's just sweaty. Or something. I don't know. She's <laughs> yeah. just always sweaty. You're having an affair, aren't you? You're looking pretty sweaty yeah. these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's like very obvious that yeah, Julia is not Kirsty's biggest fan. She's just like, no, there's nothing wrong. You should go home now. And she yeah. slams the door in her face. Like, wow, she's a real yeah. bitch in this book. You're like that's that's <laughs> really gonna make her go away when you slam your really door nice. in someone's face. It's like, yep, yeah, well, she seems fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they explain in the book why Frank covers himself in bandages. Okay. Um, I because they did did. He did that in the movie, right? He was Yeah, yeah. I think near the beginning he's he's covered in bandages and then and as he Cuz in the book he's in so much pain because once he gets to a certain point of development oh, his, like his feeling nerve back. endings come back and so he can feel everything happening. Uh... So he's just like he needs to protect his nerves oh, from the ground. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah cuz he looks pretty messed up <laughs> throughout the movie. He's pretty messed up looking. Yeah. He's got... So yeah, when when Kirsty comes back to the house, it's 
she goes back to the house to kind of investigate more and get more proof before she goes to her father to tell her to tell him that you know his wife is cheating on him and then that's kind of when the the gross frank scenes happen Uh, oh yeah and frank like attacks her and she ends up yeah frank attacks her and and she gets cuts on her and Mm -hmm. ends up in the hospital and that makes a little more sense yeah um and oh yeah the ending is the ending is a little bit different um so after all of that stuff happens julia's kind of had her life force sucked out and um what else happens oh yeah after frank has been pulled apart the cetabites actually don't go after julia because they have frank okay so they're like they just kind of they actually honor the agreement and but as and Kirsty doesn't have a boyfriend in the book, which I'm like, thank God, it's not necessary. Such a useless character. So useless. It was probably added in by like an executive. I was going to say, I bet it was like a studio note. Like, well, she can't just be a single female. Like, you know, how? Oh my God, this is the 80s. Women have to be with a man. Hey, my God. (laughs) How is she supposed to get anything done by herself? She's just a woman. (laughs) So yeah, as she's escaping. Uh, this house because it is sort of collapsing a little bit. Okay. Um, the house hears... just generally collapses anyway. It's just like yeah. <laughs> I think think it collapsed. Oh, I can't remember anymore. Um, but she hears a voice and it sounds like Julia going like, "Kirsty, help me!" And oh. she goes <laughs> into the room and she's wearing a wedding dress. And um, Julia is. Julia is wearing a wedding dress, like lying on the bed, and she's hearing this voice, but it's not coming from Kirsty's, or it's not coming from Julia's head. It's coming yeah. from her hands, oh. and in her hands is the puzzle box. Oh, okay. So, and then so it's like she's clearly like trapped in this puzzle box thing, but then well, she hears another voice come from the puzzle box, and it was like, <laughs> it was like, I am the engineer. <laughs> That's a big stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, I am the engineer, and then it starts like glowing and like yeah. bursting with like flames of this solar essence, and she runs out. And then I think that's when. Oh yeah, that's when the house is on fire. Like, oh okay, that makes thing. sense. Yeah, the, the box. And is she's kind of... watching. I am the engineer. Well, she's... <laughs> she's watching this house in, like, be engulfed in in flames, and uh, she realizes there's this figure behind her. And he gives her the puzzle box and leave. And that's the end of the book. Just he gives her the puzzle box? Yeah. Oh, so it kind of like leads into like maybe she uses it or something. or Yeah, it's like she need like, it needs to be left with her for some reason. Yeah, it's always so. like given to somebody. Jeez, who the fuck would open that box? <laughs> right? I am not... Do it yeah, I'm like, as soon as that guy left, I'd fucking throw it away. I'm like, I'm not keeping this thing. Like, it just burnt my house down, and it's filled with creepy, creepy things. I don't want to be a part Very of creepy. it. I don't want to be a part of the creepy. Don't want to be a part of it. And that ends this chapter of 
Hellraiser. <laughs> Another notch in your horror movie belt. <laughs> uh, I did it. I, did I, it. I didn't fail it. <laughs> right? You got through it. That's all that matters. You just have to watch it and get that mental trauma just layering in, just like in the book, you know? Just when you think there's like, you've seen the worst thing that you could possibly handle watching, you just, just add that extra layer. <laughs> Just like Hellraiser. It's great. I'm using the Hellraiser model for uh, horror movie watching. (laughs) Did it? Oh my god. You got through. Yeah, that was surprisingly fast. We much faster than the fly. Holy crap. That was Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Technical. But there's a lot of technical stuff that went on into the building of that. That was definitely uh, Hellraisers again. It's more of like a experience than necessarily anything that you like talk about just like plot wise because the plot it itself, is an experiential movie yeah, yeah you just kind of have to sit down and watch it to really understand <laughs> why it, it kind of why it's a freaky movie because yeah if you just watch the gory bits it wouldn't necessarily be that freaky like it definitely looks different from horror movies of the time for sure yeah some of the, some of the gore in it is just i think that's probably why it's effective as well is because it's just kind of off-putting you like you're used to seeing like freddy do stupid over-the-top cartoony kills or jason who just stabs a bunch of teenagers in the woods and then you got pinhead who's has his you know little traveling compadre of perverts that go around like talking about really weird shit and they come out of a box and they like tear you to pieces but tell you that it's really pleasurable and it just just like don't trust them yeah it just leaves you with like this layer of filth on yourself just like yeah gross yeah so that that wraps it up i guess yeah if you want to if you want to feel like you just walked into an snm nightclub watch hellraiser <laughs> yay yeah <laughs> and don't trust pleasure dealers <laughs> stay just away don't from do the it. F- stay away from the pleasure dealers you will be good (laughs) and that's that's how that's how i'll leave it (laughs) it's the best lesson you can take away from hellraiser say no to pleasure dealers (laughs) say no to pleasure dealers okay (laughs) bye everybody all right podcast's over